You are listening to the Quest for Wholeness podcast, a biopsychosocial spiritual guide. If you're interested in the human experience, health, wholeness, and how everything is interconnected, then you are in the right place. In this show, we will explore the interconnected realms of health that lead to whole human beings. My name is Lexi Burtz, and I'm passionate about holistic well-being, longevity, and I'm armed with an education in psychology. I'm so grateful to have you here with me. Welcome to a Quest for Wholeness podcast. Coming up on a Quest for Wholeness podcast. To be photographed is is an act. It's a political act, even I would say. It's a rebellious act. You know, we talk about this a lot as women to be observed, right, mm-hmm. by the male gaze. That it comes from a frame and then somebody deciding where to put that frame and then that frame being witnessed and the frame in and of itself says this is important Mm. but who's holding the camera and what the frame is for and the destination of how that frame is going to be engaged in is like kind of what we're talking about which is how do we actually give that back to the subject matter being photographed. Daryl O is an artist and photographer based out of Trinidad, Colorado. Her dad gave her her first camera when she was about 10, and she's been taking photos ever since. Daryl works exclusively with black and white film, usually medium format. It requires a slower form of engagement, and she feels deeply rooted in it as a ritual of some kind. But mostly, it allows her and the person she's photographing to meet one another without any interruption. She believes her photos serve as an artifact of a moment, that the moment itself is saying, I exist, we existed, is more important. She's making an attempt to find all the genius in the world and create a record so it won't be forgotten. Daryl is 31 and went to Tisch for photography at NYU and lived there until she closed her studios in 2020 after COVID. She loves art. She loves the art of story. She lives for the freaks and fuck the normies. Daryl and I met through Kev, another friend who will be on this podcast. Kev insisted I meet Daryl as he knew we were on the same wavelength. We've been chatting the last few months on entrepreneurship, education, psychology, and art, and how we as a team can bring these things into fruition. I'm looking forward to this year of working on more business projects with Daryl as she's a wealth of knowledge and beautifully blends creativity, values, and authenticity into business. This episode was such a pleasure as I caught her only days after her first public art show called Hands of Trinidad. There's a link in the show notes to check out Daryl's website and this featured project. Daryl's perspective on photography and her beliefs celebrate humanity and the beauty captured in the everyday. This was such a special episode to me and I know you're going to love it too. Here we go with Daryl O. Welcome to the podcast. Um, Over the weekend, I know that you had uh, an art show. So I would love for you to share with us your insights, experience and uh, takeaways from your event. Yeah, you're catching me at a really interesting time in my life and in my career. Um, Because as you mentioned, I just had my one of my first solo shows in years and probably my first ever public art show which is a really interesting aspect of 
um, sort of the world of art making because it's grants and it's for the public. And so it's a little bit different than maybe like the New York gallery, private David Werner vibes, which I've never really been drawn to, to begin with. Um, just because the systems that be that really prevent artists from being able to um, access a, um, yeah, uh, quite honestly, like an elitist community. But um, before I digress about that, my show um, was quite literally downstairs underneath my tushy. I live in a artist residency space in a teeny tiny little town called Trinidad, Colorado, which is the last town on I-25 before you hit New Mexico. It's got about 7,000 people living here. And cool. um, I moved here by accident because the listing for the apartment was the wrong zip code. Um, so all of this has been very serendipitous, but it was almost like the universe was like, here, like here's this opportunity for you to finally pursue your work um, in the purest form. And I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity and hopefully it's the first of, of many. Whoa. I would love to get into that a little bit. So, sorry, it was the wrong zip code. So where were you intending to move? Well, I was really just in a bad situation trying to find like a place to start over. And I found this ad on Craigslist for an artist's residency space. And it was so affordable and so beautiful. Like I'm in my, that apartment right now and I've, it's like got crazy ceilings and behind me are these like um, old factory windows and exposed bricks. So I felt like I walked into this like New York city loft when I saw the photos online, but like Craigslist, it only lets you put the location by zip code and they had the wrong zip code. So when you do the map view of Craig's, Craigslist, you guys have Craigslist in Canada, right? We do. Yeah. We got Craigslist. Okay. Yeah. So I just applied, you know, I'm not sure if it's like a decade in New York where it's like, you find a good apartment. You're like, I don't even care. Like we're just running there. We're going to get there first. Um, and it was kind of like that here because people, um, move into these places, lock into really good rent and then just don't move. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. So, um, I booked the appointment, got in my car and put the actual address into my GPS. And it said, two hours and 22 minutes away. And I was like, okay. Uh, the zip code that I looked up was about an hour west of here. And yeah, so I just kind of said, fuck it. Am I allowed to curse? I think so. Oh, hell said, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So I said, <laughs> fuck it. And I just drove down here and I just said, yes, you know, yes and. And it's worked out for the best. I mean, I couldn't have imagined in a million years that this little town was going to provide me so much artistic opportunity because I think we're all um, conditioned myself, even like, even though I like to consider myself somebody who thinks outside the box and tries to dismantle some of the um, institutional structures that be that prevent people like me from getting access to opportunities like this. But yeah, that prejudice was really there. And when I came here, I was so pleasantly surprised by the welcoming nature of the community, which I guess some people assume about a small town, but it's it's the way in which the artistic community was just, yeah, like you have a project, you have an idea, like, and just gave me the space to do it. So. Dude, that yeah. is so cool. 
I myself am like, a, I'm a hardcore planner. I really like to know what's coming, what I can anticipate and, and really try to structure my life, which, you know, for, for, for better and for worse. And I've been realizing that sometimes when you don't plan something, you're leaving space for something that you actually couldn't have imagined or planned for to come into fruition. And that's kind of what it sounds like with this, this move to Trinidad with, with you was like, you actually probably couldn't have imagined something like this could have come up for you if you didn't just say yes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my personality has a really deep desire for absolute chaos and zero planning. And it's almost (laughs) as if planning puts me in a safe position to be able to have Mm -hmm. safety in chaos, right. To have safety in serendipity, to have safety in um, risk right? Because how do I invite risk and exploration and the unknown into my practice, into my life without fundamentally dismantling it every single time, which is kind of what I did in my twenties. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. I want to go back to, you said this art show that you just had over the weekend was your first public art show. So I think a lot of people are probably very familiar with, um, like you said, kind of that New York based, uh, private bougie art show, but could you tell us a little bit about what public art is and really its significance? Yeah, well, to be honest, it's something that I'm just newly exploring. And it is an avenue because of my imposter syndrome. I just thought that I wasn't going to be qualified for because it's like grants are competitive and the idea of getting free money and being fully supported as an artist just felt like something that Georgia O'Keeffe got in like her late stage of her career, right? It just feels like this distant utopia. Um, But Essentially, public art is with the intention of engaging the public, meaning that you don't have to go behind a private door or have to have a cost of entry to be able to experience that artwork. So you might imagine like the love sign in Philadelphia or maybe like the Coons beautiful like inflatable dog um, at, at the outside of a corporate building in New York. But I think for me, my interest in public art is to engage in community conversation and also to um, dismantle, I think, maybe even some of the elitism in public art, which is to maybe ship an outsider in who's known as an artist and then put that piece of art in a town so that people are drawn to it for tourism, which is well-intentioned. But my project, which is called The Hands of Trinidad, was inspired by a plaque that I saw um, about the Altman studio here on Main Street, this father and son who had just like a very standard photo studio because back in the day we didn't have our phones to take our photos. You'd have to actually go into a studio and get your portrait taken. Wow. So I found okay. that archive and yeah, it was really just, you're just immediately teleported into this world of people and they're all, they all have the same problems and they all have the same relationship dynamics. They all have the deep questions about life. And so the impact that that archive had on me, I went, okay, well, what about the town right now? And what about the people right now? And what about a hundred years later? How do we pay homage to the history that was left behind from all of these amazing, intimate stories of these people that I just felt so compelled to continue. So Um, It's a long-winded way of saying that my definition of public art is one in which it actually gives, holds a mirror up to the community and actually participates in, um, in, in 
dialogue and also gives the community an opportunity to participate in their own history. So um, my portraits were essentially the same, you know, black and white portraits that the Altman studio was taking, except I took it a step further and decided to also um, pair each image with a conceptual portrait of the palms of people's hands. And um, the idea behind that was um, how can we see somebody's story and see the history built into the lines and the scars of their hands to build this town and to build their life. So um, the work was always meant to uh, be shown in that way where the community could come in, see themselves and go, oh, I, I know Carl, like he taught me in English like 20 years ago. And I know Ivory, like I used to babysit her when I was a teenager. And for me, that was the culminating moment to step back and be a fly on the wall and watch all of these people witness themselves being witnessed. Um, and that for me is like peak public art. Like that, that if I can continue to do that in my life, even a little bit, I feel um, like I've really aligned myself with something that um, feels almost karmic. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. I honestly got like shivers when you said that and had this really beautiful sensation in my chest because I think to be seen, to be actually seen is such a vulnerable and beautiful feeling. And then to be celebrated and seen is just, I, I don't even have the words to be honest. What, what, what were well, people's reactions? Um, just that. I think to be photographed is, is an act. It's a political act, even, I would say. It's a rebellious act. You know, we talk about this a lot as women, to be observed, right, mm -hmm. by the male gaze. That comes from a frame and then somebody deciding where to put that frame and then that frame being witnessed. And the frame in and of itself says, this is important. Mm. But who's holding the camera and what the frame is for and the destination of how that frame is going to be engaged in is like kind of what we're talking about, which is how do we actually give that? Um, because for me, photography, and it's everybody has their own definitions. But in my, in my work, I believe that the photograph is really more of an artifact of a moment and the moment is the work of art the person is the work of art right i mean um without getting too religious i think that god is the artist i am the observer the frame engages a human moment saying look at this this is important this is beautiful and I was trying my best to share with others the moment that I had with that individual where I am just in awe of who they are, their story, and also how easy it is for such beauty to just slip through the cracks of history and not be something that we honor. And if we don't honor it and if we don't mark it in history, then it's forgotten. And it's almost as if it didn't exist at all. Um, at least in that direct engagement. Like you might see the road and walk on it every day, but to see a human and to see their hands and to know that they laid, laid those bricks, it 
instantly puts us into connection. And that connection is something that I think we all crave in this lifetime, but in this moment and as rural towns in America disappear and as we're sort of trying to get back to slowness, it's almost like I I feel a sense of urgency to collect as many stories as possible so that when somebody comes to this town like I did and goes, wow, I could really, I could participate here. I could make impact here. Um, that, that happens, um, more easily because we, we took the time to say that this is important, you know? Yeah. Wow. There's so many pieces of gold there in what you just said. But I think what I heard was, you know, connecting people and, 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 and strengthening those connections with, through people, through your photography and, and showing these stories and stuff. And I think my intention with this podcast is to show that we're all interconnected. And as you mentioned about, you know, you might just see a road, but when you actually see the hands of somebody who built that road, it's like, it's creating this story, this history, illuminating that history and personalizing it and showing how everything is interconnected. So I think that's that's just right, right on brand for kind of the whole intention <laughs> of the show, you know. And um, what I also heard, too, which I would love to talk about a little bit more. When I think of photography and art, I think I automatically think of that private sector, right? And specifically with photography it's those who are celebrities or have some sort of stature importance and and that's who gets photographed and what I'm hearing now is no it's not just those people who deserve to get photographed and have their stories shown and told it's everybody and that is what I'm hearing that you're doing is is taking out this normal life kind of the mundane life you know you can go through life and you're like oh the same things every day but you're really highlighting the beauty of people in everyday life yeah I mean that's really there really isn't that much of a difference between a celebrity and you and me they're also human they also bleed red hopefully I don't know (laughs) this is not a conspiracy podcast (laughs) so And it's not to say that a beautiful photo of like Alfred Stieglitz and Georgia O'Keeffe at the backyard of their studio, like love that, live for those moments, love being invited into that world. But we know those people and those, those stories are going to be told. And Mm -hmm. I would argue that the only reason for why Georgia is famous is because enough people felt compelled to frame her and to frame her story. But I think that there is an act of, we all, we all reserve the human right to participate in our own history. I think that this, the saying goes, I'm not even sure where this is from, but you know, if we don't remember, we're like, if we don't remember history, we're doomed to repeat it. But I think more importantly, history is written by the victor. Mm. So I, even in these small towns, right, there's changeover, there's 
there's the Great Depression, there's the exit of the coal mining industry, there's like the uh, rise and fall of the THC industry. All this town is actually known for its rising and falling and all these really massive economic booms. And even I say, hmm, like, is this really the history of the town or is this the history based off of the person who had the most amount of money at the time and had the ability to record people, which is why the Altman studio was a very profound discovery because it's just everyday people going to the JC Penny version of a studio and going to get a photo that they could gift to their honey before they go off to war, or go off to a coal mine or just for Christmas or whatever it is. But back then you would get one photograph taken in your entire life of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so just to like bring it back to your question, I do think that, yes, I'm trying to photograph normal, but I'm also trying to question normal to begin with. And I'm also trying to question the hierarchy of what we deem to be important. Because for me, the Carl De Bono, for example, he was an English and theater teacher at the local high school here in Trinidad for about... 50 years. And um, you can imagine that all of the people I was photographing knew Carl. They're like, oh yeah, I was in a play with him and this and this. Carl is honored on a small little plaque inside of the high school. But what I got was all of these rich stories of how he genuinely changed the trajectory of their lives, brought art into their lives to the point where even now they're engaging with the importance of theater with their own children. That is a ripple effect of thousands of people that nobody will really remember. And I don't even think my photograph will do justice in, in, in touching upon that. But what I do know is that for the month and a half that my work is down there, and hopefully in the future, if I can find a more permanent place for the collection, that every generation that sees Carl, it stays in the memory, it stays in the oral history. And that impact, that indirect impact that I will never be able to quantify and nobody will really take the time to quantify, that is, that really compels me. And that's what public art, I think, should be. Um, yeah. Whoa. So if you're willing, can we link up uh, a, your photograph of Carl to this episode so that absolutely, can see it? yeah, oh, I, I actually, love it. you know, I've it, nothing. Listen, the deadline is is good in our lives, right? Like it, it having this show um, open on Saturday, I was like, I gotta get my website together. I've got to actually be observed. I have to be seen. Like I have to get my work out there. So um, I will definitely, uh, link my, the project and then, um, specifically Carl's photo. He's, he's magical. Amazing. So I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you've mentioned that photography is a dying art form. And I would love to have you share a little bit more about that. We live in this world where everybody has a camera. So yeah. Can you just expand on that a little bit more for us? Yeah. Well, I think more specifically film photography is like a dying art form. Um, the, the, it's like, you know, having a tape deck, although actually I would probably compare it to like vinyl because there are still a bunch of like hipster kids who still like to go to the record store and mm -hmm. shoot with film. And I love them because that was me. But, but photography as a fine art form. Yeah, it is. It is dying and maybe dead already 
because the value that we have on a photograph is just uh, diluted by the fact that I think each day, the total number of photos taken within that 24 hour period is more than the photos ever taken in history of time before that day. That's how exponentially it's growing. So yeah, um, I heard that fact in college. So I'm not sure if that's still true because that was like in 2010, 2014, but it just gives you an idea of how um, somebody looking at a photograph like Ansel Adams photographs of um, manifest destiny in this country. And you you put yourself in that context and you go, okay, He's going to places that you literally can't get to without potentially even dying. You're photographing something that you can't look up on the internet that you can't see anywhere else. And then he's putting it in your living room and you may see it once and you will never see a reproduction of it again. So I think that world of photography is dead and gone. And um, I'm honestly, I think because of that, not interested in landscape photography and would never, I mean, it's maybe just my own, like realization that like I have no personal interest in purchasing fine art photographs. I'm interested in the, in the act and it being an artifact, but to purposefully work in film, I think does have a conceptual implication to the work in and of itself because it's commenting on uh, history and time and death. Because when I photograph something I'm saying this is important and I'm putting it in history, but also that photograph could very easily disappear. And is it really the person? And are we actually freezing time? And so is a photograph even a fact? All of those things, I I think, uh, not to the everyday person, but to the person who understands, I think, the medium, I, I am interested in antiquity and I'm interested in the ephemeral nature of thing and the human desire to grasp and freeze time as much as we can. <laughs> so it's a little bit ineffable, but I'm, I am fascinated by the idea of using a medium that I'm racing the clock. So I'm racing the clock on two things. I'm racing the clock, hoping that I don't run out of film within my career <laughs> and that they still produce it and I can still shoot with it. And then also the act of the photograph trying to freeze time, trying to freeze Carl, even though I know those photographs may end up in a basement archive somewhere. And I know that Carl is going to pass eventually and I'm going to pass eventually. So um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it gets me excited, I think. It has, this, it gives me a sense of urgency for sure. Yeah. That just made me think of um, when I was studying psychology in school, the idea of consciousness, that it's this flowing river. And at any point in time, we can take a scoop out of the river, but that's only a piece of it, right? That's only a piece of time. That's not the whole story. That's not our whole experience of consciousness. And that's, yeah, that's what just reminded me of you talking about kind of racing the time and hoping to freeze a moment of that of that river of consciousness I guess yeah that's a really good way of putting it because it just slips through our fingers and yet the human nature is to attempt and attempt and attempt and I think that there's something in that um because I, there is an aspect of my work that's performance in some ways I would consider myself to be curating an experience and then a, a, the photograph is evidence of that experience mm. having happened um and the, the I'd say technical reason for orchestrating a portrait with a film 
rather than um, digital is that that person cannot view themselves while I'm in this interaction. They are completely beholden to the moment in time and they won't see the photograph until it's printed in the show. And so there's an incredible amount of trust that they're giving me, but from a 10 years working in commercial photography in New York, I can't tell you how many times I took a professional headshot and beautiful people, beautiful people, accomplished, decorated, famous people would go immediately to my digital Texas um, screen and go, I'm awful. I'm ugly. I'm worthless. That's gross. It would make me feel bad that I wasn't achieving the North star of make me as pretty and hot as possible. And so I've tried to go whatever on the opposite side of that is and look at people and say, I think you're beautiful. And I actually don't even, I don't even edit my film photos, even though ultimately I scan them here. I don't have access to a dark room. And when you're wanting to print six foot by three foot, there's no dark room in the world that can do that, at least to my knowledge. So I put these photos in a scanner and I could very easily with Photoshop AI make you look the best that you could look. I mean, even on the screen right now, there's probably a little bit of retouching from Zoom, but that is so uh, scary. And it's also so not the point because I lo- I mean, my mom looks back at photographs of herself when she's in her twenties and it's just on a little disposable Kodak and she was like, oh, I was so beautiful. But if she saw that photo in real time in that moment, she'd be like, I'm fat and I'm old and I have wrinkles. So the film medium has an aspect to that, that the, the, the ritual of being photographed and to be seen, it's almost like a, uh, yeah, it's almost like a sacred act. And I, I, I hope that I made people feel beautiful for all of the right reasons and for them to see everybody else, see them and say, wow, this person is incredible. I, 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 uh, there's just one person that had that on Saturday. Like I'm good. I'm so good. Oh, oh my gosh. That, that was just so touching. I, I was just thinking of, as you mentioned, the trust that people are instilling in you to take their photograph, but the vulnerability that that takes and, um, like that's that's huge just to come as you are and be seen as you are and you mentioned too kind of there's lots of programs and tools that we can use to you know buff out the pimple there hide that wrinkle too and yeah that is a really scary place that's a really scary place I've done a bit of research into the effects of social media specifically on youth and young women but as an adult too with the fully formed brain um it's hard to even tell when these things are being done, right? And and that damage that that takes on your self-esteem, especially if you aren't cognizant of the tools and things that are being used to alter images of people. That's, that's yeah, it's a very, very scary place. There's this yeah. um, one Instagram guy, he's in, in the fitness world, but he actually takes apart, rips apart people's photoshoppings on their oh editing. God. Goob, Goob, you know yeah. him? Yeah, I do. Love him. He was actually the one who helped me be able to identify when other women specifically, because that's what's coming up on my social media feed, are editing their waists, snatching their waist, being able to look for the lines behind them. And I felt kind of 
embarrassed that I didn't even think of that before because I was comparing myself, you know, if it's consciously or unconsciously that is happening when I go on social media. So now that I'm kind of armed with that information, I think that's very important, healthy way to be interacting with social media and, and photographs. Yeah. And, you know, it's a point that we kind of talked about before just in our conversations is the fact that we see more images per day, like just, just a mat, just put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's living in Trinidad in like the forties and they're going to the Altman's and they're getting the one photograph they have ever had of themselves up until that point. The only time they see themselves is when they have a mirror. And even then it's going to be in the morning and then you're off. So just the fact that we're in a reality where we see ourselves all the time, see other people seeing themselves all the time, and we see more images than words a day, it's really irresponsible for our education not to include visual literacy. We read, so we learn how to read and write. We look and take images every single day, but we do not have the education to understand it. You wouldn't know. So my, the blessing from 10 years of working in, in fashion and commercial photography is I know it takes three to six hours for that model to look that way. And she's literally flipped at the back of her neck. So her neck doesn't look fat. So I, I have a very healthy understanding that every single image I see is fake, but then I also have a education that argues that a photograph is always a lie which is interesting because in like a court of law, a photograph is proof. And every professional photographer would tell you that that's very dangerous to say. Um, very dangerous. So, Likewise with psychology and memories. Memories are falsifiable, implantable even, and are constructed from a million different aspects of memory to, to, to prove this one thing, which again is also... Um, gospel in a court of law right uh, memory yeah. so yeah. as as we're wrapping up here just to touch on that last point you've had that education you've had that practical experience what would you suggest for people who haven't had that exposure and education to equip themselves to, to be in the world of of photography every day and be seeing these images that may not be true um, I would say that if there's one piece of media for them to, to see, it would be John Berger's BBC television show series. Um, what's it called, babe? Ways of Seeing, which is a book that I read in college, but I'm telling you the, the, the TV uh, version of it, and it's free on YouTube. So if you're watching this Perfect. on YouTube, just do a little search, Ways of Seeing John Berger especially for women to understand how our entire feminine stature, how we stand, how we pose in a photo. It's about the male gaze and being witness. That's why when you see TikToks of like, oh, it's a woman's life to perform comes from the power of the frame. So I really encourage that. And then anything Susan Sontag has ever written, I mean, especially for folks who are a little bit more from the psychological philosophy side of things. And then otherwise, I would encourage everybody to um, 
think about photographing the way that they think about reading and invite the possibility that the new form of communication is the photograph and it, yeah, invite their own interpretation and also take that little iPhone of yours and use it as a tool to express your perspective of the world with others. Because the world is just an accumulation of all of us witnessing it. And the photograph is a tool the same way that a, the written word is a tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. But you don't have to be a professional photographer to participate in it. The same way that you might start your day with a journal. How could your camera be an aspect of that to your life and actively engage with it so that you get very used to your tool of measurement of beauty being the thing that you use to observe the world and not somebody else's tool of measurement for beauty to be the standard in which you measure your self-worth, which might be pretty basic 101 stuff. But if you actively engage in it when you're taking a photograph of yourself, I think it's opens up a whole new world and invites probably more conversation with yourself of, is that real? And what is real? And how do I, as the observer of my reality, project my inside out onto the world? And then hopefully somebody else can experience that as well. I mean, um, I love that everybody has a camera. I don't mind it at all. I don't feel like any less special as a photographer. I just feel like um, I'm surrounded by more people who are ready and willing to be, be, be witnessed. So, yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. That I feel like that's going to be so impactful. And I will link up um, those writings you mentioned and that BBC series. So yeah. our uh, trademark question here as we close mm -hmm. out, what piece of wisdom can you offer our listeners as they embark on their quest for wholeness? Well, I just touched upon it really, which is the idea of like tools of measurement. So you could measure your success for like fitness based off of two things like losing 10 pounds or showing up to the gym your tool of measurement of success is to show up to the gym every day you show up to the gym you're meeting your goal you're living this reality where you're experiencing success but if you did the exact same thing and your tool of measurement of success was 10 pounds every single time you went to the gym and you didn't lose 10 pounds what would your experience be of the exact same reality so I think the most helpful thing that anybody can do, whether you're an artist or an entrepreneur or an academic, is to pause and write down your values. And in the act of writing down your values, take it an extra step and define the tool of measurement for that value. It's great that your value is freedom, but it, two people can measure that reality differently. And as soon as you get comfortable with being the designer and not the one experiencing someone else's design, you pivot into a mode of empowerment that I think just had a ripple effect in my life that was beyond my own artwork, but really uh, helps me be present in, in every every moment. And also makes it very easy for me to say no to things that are not in alignment with me, which was hard for a long time as a people pleaser and as a, as a woman. 
Oh boy. There's a whole episode right there. So I guess we'll have to have you back. (laughs) I guess so. But thank you honestly so much for this. I, I really feel like, um, you know, the intersection of all of these different disciplines is where so much insight can come from. And, um, at the end of the day, art is about psychology. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to have been invited. And I hope that people, um, yeah, look at my work and maybe take some pictures today. Absolutely. And if anyone has any questions for you or wants to learn more about your art or services, where's the best place that they can connect with you? They can see my artwork at DarylO.com. It has um, my project, The Hands of Trinidad, there, as well as some other um, projects that I've been working on in this town. So if you want to get an an idea of the work that I'm creating, you can go there. And then um, you can follow my uh, photography Instagram, which is just underscore DarylO. And that also um, has a lot of content, uh, not just about the the work itself but how I created and um some of my process so oh that's so exciting I'll have all that linked up in the show notes for everyone too and yeah just thank you so much for coming today Daryl I'm so honored I I am too we'll do this again thank you for joining me on this adventure today if you're interested in learning more about holistic health or have topics that you'd like to hear on the show Connect with me over on Instagram at Quest for Wholeness Podcast. That's all one word, Quest for Wholeness Podcast. I'll see you next time to continue our shared quest for wholeness.